absolutely ridiculous. Okay, for those of you who did not see it, Mustafa Issal has caused the squash world by storm by taking off his top and throwing it out into the crowd. And I don't know if it's the old man in me, but the first thing that I thought was, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know if I'd be throwing a shirt into the crowd. It's all good to take it off. Anyways, we'll get into that. My name is Arthur Gaskin. With me as ever is Stuart Crawford and Christopher Sackley. And this is Around the Course Squash Podcast. How are you doing, fellas? I'm excited. Looking forward to this discussion, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I might take my top off in celebration just to rile Stuart up. Hey, but don't throw <laughs> it in the crowd. The pandemic. <laughs> that was honestly the first thing that I saw that I thought. I, I didn't mind the celebration too much. I mean, I, it wasn't to my taste, but that's okay as well. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I have no problem with the celebration. It's not what I would do personally, um, but... It's a big win for him, young guy. So I have no issue with that. Either you would have blinded people in those bright lights if you would have t- taken the top off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you know, I do remember being, you know, that's funny you say it. I remember being on a beach in Rio de Janeiro and I was with Tom Pashley. And so exactly what you said, I sort of took it off in the reflection of the sun <laughs> and the sea and people kind of looking at me and putting their hands in front of their eyes. I'm blind. <laughs> oh, well, that's that good old Irish skin. Beautiful. Smooth. Very smooth. Yeah, so no, what, the more the more I, the more I uh, thought about it, and then I sent you guys a little clip of that uh, interview with Mustafa this morning about the celebration. And, um, you know, uh, we were talking about in, in one of his earlier matches, he threw the hands over his ears as well. We were trying to figure out what that was, and he kind of gave some clarity around that, which was interesting. And, uh, you know, gave a little bit of perspective, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think, uh, the celebration, there's going to be people that like it. There's going to be people that hate it. I definitely land somewhere in the middle. Um, I, you know, don't think it's terrible for the sport. It, it added a little extra controversy maybe that the final point wasn't super, you know, clear. Like it wasn't like a clear winner game over. It was kind of, you know, let situation, which would have been funny if he would have had to walk out, ask for his top back, and start playing again. Yeah. I do think it was slightly a desperation let call, though. I mean, yeah, there was never really any doubt of it being given as a let, I don't think. No, no, definitely not. I think, you know, everyone's talking about the wrong thing, if you ask me. And this is, this is my entirely. Point. Yeah. Like, celebration, let him celebrate. He's a kid. If he wants to take his top off, again, maybe slightly different you know in different opinion with the pandemic throwing your shirt in the crowd i don't know how comfortable i'd be if it came my way even in normal times but <laughs> and we'll come to the quality of the squash but i think it's just covered and we're not talking about the, the right things here i mean a great game of squash great player no doubt about it but some of the stuff in that game was was just not good sportsmanship and the celebration is is someone expressing themselves and i think that's allowed but you know Stuart, I know you're chomping on the bit. Let, 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 I'll let you take it from here. Well, I think part of the reason why there's been so much attention on the celebration is probably a, a sign of sort of social media cu- culture where that was a thing that went on Twitter or Facebook that people saw. So there's probably a lot of people making comments about the match that didn't actually see the match, yeah. but they did see that video. Um, in terms of the match itself, I've got quite a bit to say. Um, Oh, go <laughs> oh, off. look at that. Go off. Yeah. Perm- permission to go off? Go off. 
<laughs> so I'm going to start off with the the blocking and the well, I'm going to call it out. I'm going to call it cheating. Um, so things like refusing to acknowledge when you've hit the tin, and even though it's blatantly obvious to everyone watching, apart from the referee, that it was a tin. The constant interference and just subtle little, uh, sometimes subtle, sometimes not so subtle, like blocks and just manipulating situations around the middle of the court to his advantage. Um, that's where I have a problem. Like I say, I have no issue with the celebration. He's a young kid, excited, great win for him. Perfectly entitled to do that, but I think he cheated his way to victory. What I will say is that I thought the referee was excellent. And the fact that he still won despite having a referee that managed to keep him in check just shows how bloody good he is and how, yeah. I mean, whether we like it or not, he's going to be around for a long time and he's going to be probably world number one and world champion at some point because that boy can play. Oh, man, it's unbelievable. And it's a shame that some of the carry-on takes away from it. Like, as much as you want to enjoy watching him play, the, the, and the blocking and the manipulating of his body position in the middle of the court... Take, I take that with a pinch of salt. It, it, it annoys me, but I, it doesn't at the same time. Like I can kind of see it. If, I can get, if you can get away with it, fine. But what I don't like is when you play a shot that blatantly hits the tin and you do a big fist pump as if to say you won the point. When he knows, and he, he's a clever guy, he knows he hit the tin. And then there was a couple of examples where he hit a good shot and Paul hasn't even retrieved it yet and he's already shouting. Now, and, and again, it just, it just distracts and it, I think it takes away from some of the unbelievable stuff. And, um, and again, just to go back in the celebration, fair play to him. You're allowed to celebrate. Celebrating is great. And I don't think people would be coming at him as hard for the celebration. There's both sides, right? Amanda Sobey put out a big thing about how she thinks uh, it's going to get eyeballs on the sport. She thinks it's awesome. Um, the, the problem is you can't get mad at people who are upset about the celebration because he has this history of being a little bit dirty, um, not calling those balls down. And I, I think when you have some of that, he still, he still has it, but it, it sounds like it's gotten better, which is kind of sad because obviously, you know, just from this recent tournament where we're talking about it still, but it's, it sounds and it looks like it's gotten better but when you start to – it's hard to get rid of your past, right? Like it's hard to, to just automatically win people over. And you can't expect people to be on your side if you do something a little controversial if like you're not someone that people, um, you know, necessarily respect the way you, you play the game. Um, and, and as we're saying, we – impossible to say that we don't respect his, uh, his talent, his, his – athleticism you know and he's obviously super competitive but it's just like I don't know I don't think he's going to get any favors from referees from fans if uh he keeps up some of the shenanigans yeah yeah just on what you're saying about his talent Chris I did a lot of research into the stats of his rise up the rankings and from what I can tell the only person other than him who's made top 20 at that age is Shabagi. um so Shabagi made top 20 for the first time three months after his 18th birthday. Wow. Sal made top 20 six months after his 18th birthday. Uh, and the only other person that made the top 20 while they were still technically a junior was Rami. Um, so I think when you put him in that category with those 
players, then you see just how good he is at such a young age. But there's also Janscher's in that bracket as well, and Jahangir. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I didn't go back far, but you're right. The the other thing I was thinking uh, about when I was uh, trying to compare us all to some other players, like it it doesn't feel like that long ago that that Goche had a bit of a reputation for you know leaving the leaving his trailing leg out and kind of be being a little bit maybe um, you know being a little bit chippy in that way um and i remember not necessarily loving to watch it and i think that went away and i think referees kind of helped solve that uh i also thought um muhammad el shabagi uh not uh, not recently but i i used to not loving watching him play for similar reasons uh, i think he can still do it at the right times to get a little bit of an advantage but i think he's definitely become a lot more fair uh, and so, like, it gives me hope that, like, between the other players on the tour probably starting to send some hard messages Asal's way and the referees sending some hard messages, he, he is super young, right? Um, and, and clearly, like, so desperate to get to the top. And something I've noticed coaching some Egyptian players and just, like, watching Egyptian players on the tour, like, there does seem to be – an insane pressure to get results. And I think you can see that in, in him as well. Right. He's you're, you don't, I think Paul Cole is very clear and Diego is very clear on wanting to get to number one in the world. We're not seeing those guys like play double bounces and fist pump or hit a 10 and fist pump. Right. So it takes it to a little bit of an unhealthy level. I think at times. I do think it's a, just to counter that a little bit, I just think Asal, I don't think we can necessarily say that that's, I think that's just him. I, I wouldn't put sort of everyone in that, it, it, like a bracket of Egyptians in, in, in with him there. I think it's just him that's, that he's. Yeah, no, us. no, 100%. I, I, I just, it, I, I think there, we all grew up playing a little bit, probably with a little bit less pressure on us to get results. And I think, I think that, being the best Egyptian player coming up and stuff, it comes with a lot more pressure than being like the number one Canadian junior, or the number one Irish junior, right? The, I, I think there is a, it's a pressure cooker. It does, but I don't think that excuses that sort of behavior. I mean, Rami was a two-time world junior champion and one of the fairest players you could ever watch. Shibana was an excellent junior. Again, can't remember Shibana ever doing anything like that. Um, so some of the fairest players I can think of are Egyptians, but then also you've got uh, El Hindi had a pretty bad reputation for a long time in his career of stuff like this. I just worry with Asal that if he doesn't clean up quickly, that he's going to send a bad message for the sport. This Kids, like you say, look up to him. And I don't want juniors around the world, not just in Egypt, watching the way he plays and thinking, okay, well, that's the way to play squash. But yeah, I mean... It's, I thought the referee, Ralph Harenberg, did a really good job early on of setting the tone for the match and trying to clean it up as much as he could. Um, he gave her what Asal considered harsh decisions, but I think they were necessary. Um, but it just, there was always that tone of like little nudges here and there, and it verges on physical intimidation. I sort of liken Asal to this, the playground bully that is 
so physical in juniors that he's just bullied everyone that he's played. And suddenly he's coming up against guys that are not going to stand down. Paul's going to match him physically and stand up to him. Uh, and he doesn't quite know what to do. But like I say, the fact that he still came through and won that match just is a testament to just the raw ability that he has. Yeah. And on, just on the other side of that, I know there's all that stuff as well. There's obviously a very playful side to him. Like he likes to be expressive. He likes, like there's a fun side, there's a cheeky smile there. I just think, and we, I think we all are in agreement, but I think it's worth acknowledging that there's de- definitely some really positive expressions there that could be really healthy and he could be such a likable character. But I think some of the stuff on court could do with tidying up and he doesn't need to do it. He's that bloody good. He is so bloody good. Jeez. Yeah, that's a great point because I think he'll be the most, I think he he would be the most fun player partially because he's the youngest, but just the way he plays, I think is so exciting. And as you say, I think everyone would look up would luck up to the way he plays, right? If he, if he cut out some of that stuff. Yeah. And I, I actually think like, again, just go, sorry, go back to the celebration. Everyone seems to be having such strong opinions on, on me, on uh, social. Like it's, it's fine. You're allowed to celebrate. And it's actually yeah. kind of, it's kind of nice to see whatever his thing is. And he's holding his, holding his, uh, his ears or whatever. That's, that's, I think it's all good. I think he had a little cheeky one that the camera barely caught where he's on one leg having a cup of tea. <laughs> with, his, with his pinky finger up like I think that's kind of again I, my personal thing is it's kind of funny it's kind of cool but it's just that yeah uh, the blocking is, is bad but I think the worst thing is the fist pumps when you're hitting the 10 and that kind of stuff to, as if to say I hit a good shot and the story behind that celebration with the ears is also quite touching because it's apparently a football player for one of the top clubs in Egypt who got more neuron disease so he's sort right, of trying yeah. to bring, a, bring attention to that and the guys, I believe, in a wheelchair and unable to walk these days. So, again, he's, he's clearly got a side to him that is aware of other issues outside of just trying to win squash matches. Uh, yeah, Salah. I think Salah did it la- not last weekend, just before the international break a couple of weeks ago. Yep. Salah. Anyway, should we talk about some of the other matches? Oh, man. <laughs> Let's, was there any other matches? I barely remember. I, just before that, I think was probably right up there as well. Uh, Hamami and Camille Serm was just outrageous. Yeah. I mean, another, and, na- another 90 minute battle. Oh, and at the end of the match, you know, there was no celebration. It was just pure, sheer exhaustion from Hamami. I think the same was thing. They just touched their rackets. I think had they been allowed to hug, they probably would have embraced one another and there could have even been tears. It was such a, such a battle. But that's also quite a, a big contrast to the Asal and Cole match where you've got reigning world junior champion coming up against a, an established top five player. Both epic matches. I mean, 92 minutes for uh, Camille and Hamami and 104 minutes, I think, for Cole and Asal. Um, in both cases, the younger player came through and you just see the respect between Camille and Hamami. Obviously, they've got the history of playing a number of tough matches, but the match is always fair, always clean. And even after an epic battle like that, I mean, Camille's quote was quite funny. She's like, I, I just want to say I'm absolutely sick of these draws right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's just, it's nice that they can have those battles and still retain that mutual respect and be competitive without ever stepping across the, the boundary. But then you watch the following match between Asal and Cole and you see that 
Sal currently is unable to to navigate that. He's young. We'll give him that. He's got time. <laughs> I think with Hanya Kami, I think when you play so many matches at that level and that require that mental and physical effort just to hang in there and to give yourself a chance, there's a, almost like an honesty between the two of you that you share. There's a, a relationship that kind of develops as a, as a result of it where it's just complete and utter respect to bring out the best in each other. Yep. Love to see it. <laughs> yeah, love to see it. Yeah, love to see it. And uh, OGG against Farag. Farag looked pretty, uh, he looked very good. He did probably the best I've seen him play since the resumption of the tour. Um, came out, was taking, I mean, you could see that he really wanted to test Gautier's movement and take the ball as early as he could. Uh, he was firing it into the front pro- probably more than he has in recent matches. Yeah. Um, and yeah, never never really gave him a chance to settle and get into his rhythm. And you picked up on that in um, in the World Tour Finals against Marwan. And it was the second time that they played that you said it was you really enjoyed watching him play because he was forced himself. Because he does have a tendency at times to be maybe a little passive and just reactive to a degree. Yeah, no. I mean, I think that's going to be... Uh, I think we all we all called Ali to win, right? So this is uh, this is where it heats up for him here. I called him to win the tournament, so I've got a lot riding on him. Yeah, I did yeah. too. So same. I'm, and another, it'll be an interesting one here, right? Uh, with Asal versus Farag, like uh, Paul's Paul's quite a bit bigger and um, can take some of that beating, but Ali's also pretty like elusive. Like I think he's gonna. He's pretty good at navigating around people, but it, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, this is yeah. uh, this is a big one. <laughs> I think I have a, I have a strange feeling, and I I could be way wrong here, maybe a little optimistic, but I I think Asal will have learned from his experience playing Paul in terms of certain actions. I don't think it's going to clean up anything, but I, I certainly think there'll be less of the fist pumps and the tins. I think there might be more respect there as well. Obviously, playing in Egypt against an established Egyptian, I don't think he's going to be quite as physical. And um, he's, he's obviously not going to have the entire crowd on his side, regardless of how he behaves. Whereas I think against Paul, he kind of felt like he could do whatever he wanted and the crowd was still going to cheer him on and support him. Yeah. Whereas the respect there against Farag is probably going to make him play a little bit cleaner and tidier. I would think so. And I think there was a similar a similar pattern at the tournament of champions where he he felt a lot of pressure to get through the earlier rounds and he actually played a columbia alum uh ramit tundin in the first round who said he felt pretty good and he said any big point near the end of a game he just got completely shut out on balls and just like felt like he you know felt like he had a chance but he just couldn't get uh like couldn't get clean looks at getting to balls um and then it and then later in the tournament he was Asal became kind of the talk of the tournament because he had such a good run. And I think he know I think he does know like when to push it and maybe when to scale back just a little, but we'll find out soon. Yep. And then the other one, obviously, um, Marwan coming through against Hesham pretty tight for a while. And then uh, Mazin just seemed to drop off a little bit physically towards the end. And uh, as we've been saying all along, if anyone's going to take advantage right now, it's Marwan. Yeah. And big win by big win by moment over Diego. Yeah, huge match. Yeah, it was quite 
it was interesting just because you could see from fairly early that um, Tarek was having some physical issues. He kept sort of bending over between points. He also wasn't playing his best squash, but he just kept digging in and trying to... He sensed that he knew that if he could just make it hard enough for, for Diego, he had a chance. And that's probably been the only question over Diego. I don't think anyone's questioned his squash ability, but certainly physically there's still a few questions against those top, top players. And yeah, I mean, can't imagine how difficult it is to keep pushing and pushing when you feel that bad, not just from... I don't think he had suspected food poisoning or some issue with lunch, but um, also the, the amount of work they were both doing in the rallies was also probably pretty testing. So we've got eight Egyptians in the semifinals of the Egypt Open. Yeah. yeah, And that's after the retirement of uh, Renim and <laughs> Shabagi not playing and Gawad losing early. Uh, it's pretty, pretty it's remarkable, scary. to be honest. Yeah, that's scary. We have Nathan Lake coming in. Uh, Nathan's going to give us an insight into his tournament. Hello. Oh, Nathan, how you doing, man? Hey. Hi, boys. How, how you doing, doing Nathan? Good to see you. you. Thanks for having me on. No worries. It's our pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out. How you all doing? How are you coping with lockdown? What's the situation where you guys all are? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm chilling in Italy, doing very little right now. So. Oh, bloody hell, that's perfect. Can't yeah. complain. Yeah, I'm jealous of that. I've been back in uh, New York coaching since August. Are, this, are the teams back now? Uh, no, no college squash. Just been uh, been doing some of the junior stuff. Uh, but yeah, no uh, no Columbia practice yet, unfortunately. No. no. Is that completely written off the whole year? Not quite yet. Um, some schools, some of the, a lot of the Division Three schools have already said they're they're not going to play. But uh, yeah, you know, Stewart's at Penn. I'm at Columbia. We're still kind of holding on to a little hope, but not <laughs> probably not looking good. Stewart's normally be. Stewart's not hanging on to any hope. He wants to stay in bloody Italy. I think. That's yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. Actually, actually I'd, I'd love to go back, but like yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be uh, first day of official practice was supposed to be yesterday. Um, so there's nothing going to happen before January. Certainly not for us. But Jeez, Gaskin, you've got to get with the program. The other boys have got microphones. He's got one hey, too. There you go, bro. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Huh? He's got it hidden away. Yeah, yeah. And you'd see the headphones, but for the big bushy head. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nathan, we just want to get into, you had a great run this week in, in Egypt. Um, you got a last minute call into Manchester which I'm sure was, was a nice little bonus to get some competitive play. Yeah. Great win against Rafa. You gave Arturo a bit of a pace then after the first game, uh-huh. losing one point in the last three games. And then you had a good run against Marwan. Talk us a little bit through about your tournament. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, like the overwhelming feeling is it's just good to be back playing. Um, yeah. Like uh, a bit of a baptism of fire going straight into play Ali in Manchester, but um, just good to be back playing. And um, the bubble... I don't know how much you guys know about it, but we have to get a test before entering the bubble. And then once you're, um, depending on what the individual country has, so like Manchester, you have to have a test within maybe 72 hours of arriving at the hotel. Once you arrive at the hotel, you have to have another test then quarantine in your room until that result comes back. And then after that, you basically are confined to your room, uh, match court, or you're allowed to practice with your opponent um, the day before if you're not playing. Um, 
And then Egypt was a little bit better because we could um, sit by the pool and get outside. Like Manchester, obviously famous. I think you live there for a while, Gaskin. It rains a lot there, so yeah. pretty limited to what we can do. Um, but Egypt was a lot better in terms of we could get outside. And the last night I was there, after I lost, they allowed uh, the players at lost to go watch the match at the Pyramids, which was pretty cool. But yeah, very happy. It was good. It was definitely a good draw. Like, uh, Kandra was obviously a very tough one, but to play Salazar in the second round of a Platinum, I'm sure he was thinking, this is fantastic. I've got to play Nathan in the second round. But, <laughs> oh. and, uh, it was, did he know Nathan was thinking the same thing? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, it, was, uh, it was weird, actually, because it was obviously a great opportunity, but there was also a bit of pressure with that. And of I kind of tried not to hide from that. There was no, I mean, it was quite clear it was a good draw. I mean, on the court next to us was Tarek and uh, Dazuki. So uh, it was quite aware that it was a good, good draw, but pleased to get through it. And thought I played all right against Marwan. Um, he's obviously in decent form. Um, just relentless with his accuracy. And um, as soon as he can sort of settle and get into a rhythm... He just punishes you, and any any slightly short ball or weak ball, he's he's on it and putting you under some severe pressure. So um, I was pretty pleased with the account I gave, and uh, on the whole, good good tournament, very good tournament actually. Yeah, I mean, you say good draw, but they're only good draws if you take advantage of them. Yeah, exactly. You you still got to get out there. You still got to play, and like you said, there is an added pressure, and you got to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, she's. 33-1 33-1 in the last three games. <laughs> yeah, I had a few funny texts about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what's going going forward now? What's next? So Qatar, the last, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, Qatar, the last couple of days got confirmed. So that starts on the 1st of November um, and players have to arrive four days before you start. So that they've employed some kind of quarantine. Although it sounds like we'll be able to practice once we receive a negative test result. But yeah, uh, we're lucky to have um, another one in a couple of weeks in Qatar. And that's the thing, like, it's obviously great to be back playing and money and points and all that sort of stuff. But realistically, for the next, I don't know how long, maybe like four months, that the main events that are going to be almost definitely taking place are the big ones. And it kind of, that result sort of cements my place in getting into those. So that was the, the big plus that at least I know if there's an event on, I should be able to play it. It's huge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was good. I, I spent one afternoon in the sun. Um, I went down to the pool, and on the left hand, I arrived quite late, so the left-hand side of the pool was completely shade, and the right was completely sun. And John Mazzarella was, was lying flat on his back about three hours into a sun, sun session, and I, t- I turned left to hide into the, uh, under the umbrellas. Yeah, you got that nice, nice, lovely, pale Irish skin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think you're probably more tanned than me if that's possible uh, that's probably just the ginger beard giving me a reflection on my cheeks <laughs> did you have a sense Nathan going into the tournament that you were playing well Just I know that you'd won a couple of PSA events before lockdown so you obviously felt quite good before things stopped but did you feel yeah, that felt, it had gone well I felt good in March I did feel good in March <laughs> I, didn't feel, I didn't feel good in July and August um, yeah, so here, uh, I felt really good. And I was, I was gutted the tour ended when it did, obviously, like most of the players. And um, felt quite lucky. I played the second last tournament to finish, I think, in Winnipeg, which ended on maybe like the 13th of March. I felt stupid, really. I remember people talking about coronavirus 
like it was the apocalypse. And I was like, crikey, this is a bit over the top. Like, settle down. And then like a week later, America was in lockdown and I, <laughs> I was locked out. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, it was good. I had a couple of good, uh, I think I won two or three 10Ks, which was really pleasing because they're hard events to win, like very deep in terms of uh, quality. Um, and then during lockdown, tried to stay pretty fit, um, but found it very hard actually coming back and uh, did not feel fantastic against Farag, although I don't think anyone does. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, I knew it was an opportunity against uh, Rafa. Um, but he's obviously a very, very good player, but um, we played a couple of times before and I'd lost 3-2 both times. and So I, I knew I had a, a chance, um, but probably performed better than even better than I expected to, um, to answer your question. What's it like when, you're, uh, when you get that test before the tournament starts and you've got to wait for a negative result? Is there any doubt in your mind? You're like, oh shit, who have I seen the last yeah, few days? <laughs> and if the I- tests vary, right? So some of them you have to self-administer. Uh, I've probably had about six or seven tests and half of them have been self-administered. The ones in Egypt, if you ask any of the players, they were super aggressive. So they, they, you have to do 10 seconds at the back of your throat and 10 seconds up your nose. Oof. And it was, it was really scary because you'd walk to the facility where they were doing it on the first day and you'd see players coming back like with tears coming down their eyes. And you'd think, oh my gosh, what have they done? And, and <laughs> it was just brutal. You'd hear like all manner of noises coming from... And there was only <laughs> the time you hear noises. So then like if you were in the waiting room, you'd be, think, you'd be starting to sweat. Think, oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's stressful. And then obviously... As much as Egypt's a nice place, I don't want to spend two weeks in a hotel room in Cairo. Um, yeah. How nice the hotel room is. So that's quite, that's pretty stressful. Um, so yeah, there is, there is a bit of fear that you're going to get that dreaded um, positive result. But, uh, or, or even a false positive, right? Like, because uh, that just sends everything net sideways too. Um, yeah, so there is, there is, you're definitely stressed. I was more relaxed this time. I remember in Manchester being quite stressed that, um, I was going to get a, for no reason. I wasn't showing any symptoms, but you just never know, right? Just yeah. But I've had I've had four now. Two of the hard ones, two of the ones that go really really high up the nose, and then two of the easy ones. And it's it, I'm like, why why couldn't they make a test that is accurate that you don't need to stick into your brain? Like I just don't understand it. We have all this technology, we have computers in our hands, and we have to stick. Q-tips into our brain to get a to get a COVID test. So after I after I beat Salazar, I was obviously like I was bouncing, I was really excited, and then I got a text message from Lee Mitchell saying PCR test tomorrow nine fifteen. <laughs> I was just like devastated, <laughs> absolutely devastated. Because <laughs> you know, they've lost it. They really did that. Like, they were fishing up your brains on the yeah nerve. yeah. He walked in and it was just like, <laughs> oh, it's horrible, absolutely horrible. Yeah, some people are saying that, you know, the nurses and people administering these, these tests have gotten so much like better at it. So, you know, they they don't bother you as much, but it's it's impossible for that for those ones that go up high not to bother you because it's the most unnatural feeling of all time. Yeah, these are particularly <laughs> horrible. Um, yeah, well, that's maybe the one positive and not plain. Is that right? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like complaining because like a lot of the players I train with they've got no events on the horizon like it's brutal absolutely brutal so you know if, if I've got to have my brains fizzled around with a q-tip I'll take that if I can play a couple of events um yes 
it's a small price to pay. Happy days. Maybe a small brain to frazzle around as well, so you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, 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 very small brain. So there's plenty of space to move it around up there. <laughs> well, Nate, that's, that's awesome. Like, thanks for the insight. Thanks for coming on. Well done this week. And uh, the very best of luck uh, in Qatar in a couple of weeks' time. Cool. Cheers, boys. Stay good fit, job. stay healthy. Yeah, good luck. Thank you. Cheers, Thanks, see Nathan. You. Cheers, man. There you go, guys. Nathan Lake. What a gay. What, what a gay. <laughs> good player. So, yeah. And here's our, here's our next guest in Sabrina Sovi. Good time in that. No mission. Huh? Oh, you texted. On the ball, Pope John Paul. Sabrina. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> it's good. How are you? Great. S- still, hanging in, still hanging in Egypt. I am, yeah. So I decided to stay a little bit extra time here because my dad's birthday is on Tuesday. So I was being a good daughter and hanging in there for an extra week or so to spend the birthday with him and, his fa- and the family that we have here. Amazing. It's good timing. <laughs> I know, right? And is your so, sister doing the same or are you the, the top No, bar? she uh, she left like immediately after the tournament ended for her. So there you, I, you go, number, number one child. <laughs> All right. Getting bonus points out here. <laughs> Happy days. It's a great move. So Sabrina, I mean, obviously hard luck against Camille. It was an unbelievable match to watch. How do you feel about how you played and um, stuff? Yeah, thanks. I thought I th- I'm going to put on my video. I think it will work. Okay. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, I was actually really pleased to have made it to the third round in the tournament first off. So I was uh, quite relaxed and like not really feeling any pressure and obviously made it to like the most renowned venue out there in squash. So I couldn't really ask for anything else. Um, I play, I feel like I played Camille a lot. So also like, and my record against her is pretty (laughs) poor. So (laughs) I, again, wasn't like expecting anything, but honestly, whenever I'm on a show court, all I really ask for is to not get chopped. So that was like, (laughs) when I got one game off, I was like, okay, this is good. Like people are enjoying it. I think so. I was really pleased to see that I was able to like, kind of compete to the very end with her and uh, improve since the last time I played her, which was in Manchester a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I was just about to pull you up on that. Like, did you feel that you learned a little bit from Manchester that you could take into your match in Egypt? And Yeah, yeah, I actually definitely did. Um, Manchester was such a bizarre event anyway, just because it was the first match since COVID stopped everything. So... Um, it was kind of a weird feeling and weird experience. And of course, like I was a bit like bummed to get the first seed <laughs> after like six months off. I was like, Oh great. I get uh, the number one seed in the tournament, but it was, it kind of helped out, I guess, for the, the CIB Egyptian open. Cause I was able to like watch my match and get some, I don't know, some, even though she's, pretty much so strong and everything but <laughs> find maybe one weakness or something to to utilize <laughs> is, is that a secret or are we allowed to ask <laughs> <laughs> one of Camille's uh weaknesses or yeah what? yeah or that you were able to yeah you felt you could kind of make some I... some inroads <laughs> people have told me that like her forehand's like the weaker side so I just feel like I just kept lobbing it to her forehand which is one of my like 
favorite th things to do anyway. I just like lifting lifting the ball up, so it helped me out a little bit. I think. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And what I know you were back. You were back um, on Long Island, right, for a little bit. Did you did you also get back over to Egypt to train or anything before some of these tournaments? No, I didn't. So um, I was in I was in Egypt from March to the beginning of June for the quarantine, and then went back to Long Island. Took like stayed there pretty much until the end of August or middle of August, and then went down to Philadelphia to start training a bit there. Um, and then just went straight to Manchester and then from Manchester went to Egypt. So I had like probably 10 days before the Egyptian open, uh, started in Egypt to train a bit here. But since leaving in June, I kind of <laughs> felt like I've exhausted my time here and really was <laughs> appreciating all the time in the States. Nice. So you just credit like a nice, uh, a nice rest over quarantine to, uh, to the good playing or what? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I think it a works good, wonders. Good strong yeah. island strong island beach time. Nice water. <laughs> exactly. Just Love feel it. nice and relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, it did seem like you were playing pretty well before the lockdown started. So it's not like it's come out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I um felt like I was just picking up the momentum and then everything got shut down, but it's okay. <laughs> and then where do you go from here? Because I know they've just confirmed Qatar for the men, but I don't think it's a women's event. So is there yeah, anything it's confirmed not a women's for women? Event. Um, right now, we, there's tentative plans for the British Open to happen in the middle of December, but right now it's not confirmed. Um, so it's kind of, again, like up in the air, which is a little unfortunate, but I'm heading back to the States next week, and then we'll probably head to Philly. I'm flying to New York, but we'll probably head to Philly a week later and start training hoping that the british open happens but if it doesn't i don't really know might try and take a little vacation i think <laughs> yeah probably not a bad time <laughs> it must be so frustrating like that yeah, feel really that, yeah and just like as before the start of the year you had a nice bit of momentum pandemic who would have called that and then you yeah. kind of back into your groove again like third round you two great wins to get you off off up and running and then a, a really great performance against Camille and yeah it is a little frustrating but nothing really that can be done about it so no <laughs> that's awesome and uh what what's uh what's the training setup in Philly gonna be like again it's like kind of up in the air but my sister just moved down there um Olivia Fichter also just moved down there so, so there's some good U.S. players in the area um Actually, my coach from Egypt, who I started working with when I moved here last year, Mohamed Reda, um, works down there with a the family. So that's been super convenient. That's where I um, stayed and worked with um, when I was there before Manchester. So I pretty much utilize him being there. And then like my sister and like Gilly Lane and Olivia Fichter. So it's kind of a, it's a good setup for being, randomly thrown together this past summer yeah good old Rita what a guy yeah, <laughs> yeah he's the best I, I do love working with him so and in terms of your game obviously you're you're moving up the rankings pretty quickly and you're starting to threaten the top players so is there anything you feel like you need to add or work on to make that next step up into the top 20 and then top 10 yeah definitely there's 
I'm sure there's a lot of things I have to be working on or should be working on at least. Um, I think a men- my mental game definitely needs some work and just overall like having gaining some more confidence, believing that I, I guess I can like compete against the top players um, and just like more so I would say mentally and could strengthen <laughs> up a little bit because I feel like my squash is um, it's I mean I feel like it's gotten it's improved a lot and it's been helping me get to where I am at the moment but there are some gaps in there. Is that a confidence and belief thing or is it concentration and focus or? Um, I think it's a big confidence and belief thing for sure. You're going to go from, I'm not going to, I can't, I don't want to get chopped today to I'm going to do some chopping today. That's, that's going to be the switch. (laughs) Needs a big switch. Yeah. Let me know. (laughs) I think if you're, if you're taking the number three in the world to five games, you're two and up and you're every bit like for anyone watching, including us, and you know we love watching our squish. Uh, you know, there's there was large large moments there. I actually called I called a win, and in the group chat, it says, "Sophie, Sophie for the win." Now it didn't happen, but the fact that you you've got to feel that as well when you're in there, right? You're you're two and up. You're in with a real chance of uh, upsetting the apple cart. Yeah, I mean, you'd think so, but a lot of times I'm like still doubtful honestly doubtful and I'm <laughs> I don't know I like kind of don't really know what's happening out there to be on- <laughs> to be honest <laughs> I wonder I'm like oh wow I don't know how I'm i it takes a lot of convincing to be like okay like you're you're two one up you can do this <laughs> rather than like just something that should be innate and be like okay like uh, of course, you're two one up and in it right now. Like rather than being surprised about it, yeah. I'd always, sense. I'd always try and go with like the fake it, the fake it till you make it route. Like if yeah. I was playing <laughs> someone, I was a little in over my head. Like I would just tell myself, like this is gonna be this this guy's gonna be so mad when I upset him today. You know, I'd <laughs> at least convince myself going in yeah. that I had a chance, and then you know, like. You're super tired. You're down like one love, nine, four. And you're like, okay, you know, I can stop. I can stop tricking myself now, but good, good effort. <laughs> yeah, I tried I that as well, but it didn't always work. Yeah, at least went in. I at least went in thinking tough. <laughs> I remember that like for every tournament back in the day, I was like, this is the week. This is the week you're going to make a breakthrough. No, no word of a lie. And then it was like, it's not the week. And then the following week, this is the one. This is the one. It's not the one. <laughs> yeah, give it a tr- give it a try sabrina and we'll get you back on after your next big win and see if you employed our tactics exactly. <laughs> well. he's an eternal pessimist i never had to deal with any of that just, <laughs> just expect the worst and you can never be disappointed usually my philosophy as well yeah if you have a good one it's like wow this is amazing i didn't expect that <laughs> Well, Sabrina, thanks a million for taking the time to come on and to speak with us. Amazing week this week. Well played, well done. Best of luck yeah. going forward. And hopefully you'll have a British Open to look forward to in December. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for thinking of me and hope the podcasts are going well in the future. <laughs> thank you. We'll hopefully see you stateside soon. I'll yeah, hopefully see you in Philly at some point yeah. if I yeah. ever make it back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. let me know. Safe travels. <laughs> okay. Take care, guys. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.
Talk, talk about timing. We had two guests on. We didn't even have to stop. Seamless. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap up semifinals, fellas, there, Hanya and Noran Gore just started. What's our predictions? Yeah, we might have to make new ones because <laughs> we were a bit off, I think. Uh, I'm sticking to my Hanya and uh, Hanya getting through with Shabini, followed by uh, a Marvin and Farag. Yeah, I think I think I would agree with all of that actually. Although I I did pick Gohar to make the semis, and I didn't pick Hanya, so maybe I should go for Gohar in that one just to mix it up. Spice it. I could see a couple. I could see a couple upsets. Not that Gohar over Hamami would be an upset, but maybe based on the way they played last tournament, I'm just gonna rock the boat here and go uh, Gohar versus Altaib. And even though I had Serum over Sherbini originally, I got to shake it up. And in the men's, that assault for Og match is going to be going to be wild. I think. I think I've got to take Marwan based on his form, and I picked Ali to win it, so I can't change there. Yeah, I, I don't see Tayeb pulling off the the win against Sherbini. I'm still trying to figure out how she did it last week. Um, and I can't see it repeating two, twice in a row. All right. Uh, well, well, let's see a couple of good days of squash. Um, just a little spoiler for Sunday's episode, the world number one. Mohamed El-Shabagi will be joining us in the studio. Well, the virtual studio, the video. There you go. <laughs> All right, that's it from us, guys. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely.